Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. All right. Good evening, everybody. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do because we use those here, um, I want you to turn to John chapter 11. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, you're in luck because the words are going to be on the screen behind me, so you have no excuse. So first off, I want to say something that might spark some anxiety in some of you all. But my goal is that from this point to the end of the lesson that you'll bear with me, and hopefully by the end of the lesson have a little bit less anxiety regarding the statement. So the statement is this. Every single one of you in here, I don't care how fit you are, how in shape you are, how skinny you are, how strong you are, how much you can bench press, deadlift, or anything, you're gonna die. So there is a day that every single one of us will be in one of those things that we see in the back of the room unless you're cremated. And then you're gonna be lowered into the ground, and that's that. For many people, they believe that. But that's what I wanna talk about tonight, uh, is death. Um, Because for many of us, it's a very sensitive topic. And for many of us, death might be our worst enemy. Um, We've seen it violently take family members from cancer. Um, We've seen it take innocent people. We've seen people cause other people to die when they didn't deserve to die. We see on the news all the time about yet another mass shooting that happens where innocent people meet their fate. So a lot of people, Christians included, have questions about death. What actually comes after death? Sure, we get it. We go to heaven one day, but we read the book of Revelation, and that seems a little bit scary and ethereal, and we don't understand what on earth is John saying that I saw this thing in heaven that had the likeness of the appearance of the likeness of this. And we're like, bro, what are you saying? Just be straight. But we don't understand him. And a lot of us have confusion about death. So I think it's pretty obvious that we care a great deal about death and carry a lot of questions about it. So if you're not there already, get in John chapter 12. Um, We're going to start tonight in verse 20. So what we're going to do actually is go from verse 20 through like 48 And then my last point is gonna go from verse one through 19. So we're kind of working backwards, but please bear with me. My mind is crazy and works in reverse sometimes. Um, But I hope that you can follow me. Uh, So we're gonna go ahead and start reading. Um, We're gonna read from verse 20 through 27. If you've got your Bible, awesome. And if not, it's on the screen behind me. Verse 20 of John chapter 11 starts and says, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha and Mary, they're sisters, and they have a brother named Lazarus. And what just happened to kind of fill you in before I continue is Lazarus died. He was sick, and we're gonna get there at the end of the lesson, but he was sick, and they sent messengers to Jesus saying, Lazarus is sick, you need to get over here. And Jesus kind of waited a bit, and Lazarus died. So now they're distraught. So this is kind of the setting of what's going on. We continue verse 21. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now... I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. 
So the first point that I wanna point out is this, that Jesus will be the resurrection and the life. And what I mean by will be is future tense. That Martha answered Jesus' uh, question because he's, Jesus told her, right? I'm gonna raise him. I'm gonna raise Lazarus, your brother from the dead. And she goes, yeah, Lord, sure. I believe that you will. Future tense, on the last day. So what I wanna tell you guys and kind of clear up before we dig into this deep is that there's gonna be a day that, like I said, many of us are gonna be put in one of those caskets in the back of the room and we're gonna be lowered into the ground. But there is a day that our soul and our body will reunite and we will be brought to heaven to stand before Jesus Christ. So if you wanna turn there with me, you can do that. If you wanna make sure I'm not making this stuff up, I do recommend it because sometimes people think I'm crazy. I'm not, I'm just speaking from the Bible. It's crazy enough as is sometimes. If you wanna turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter four, you'll see where I'm talking. We're gonna read verses 13 through 18 in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. And it says this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, which means those who are dead. This is a nicer way to say it. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God, will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who are fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So we see that that's true, that there's a day, and it's not just talking about our soul. Our physical body will rise. Our soul and our body will be reunited and we will stand before Christ. So when Martha told Jesus, yes, I believe that you will raise him again on the last day, she wasn't wrong. There will be a literal physical reuniting one day of our soul and our body. Scripture clearly teaches that truth. Another way to think of it is this. I'm sure if you've spent any time in church, uh, you've, you've learned about Adam and Eve, and in the beginning of time, dang it, Adam, he sinned, and because of his sin, we now have inherited that, and now we're gonna go to hell one day if we do not accept salvation through Jesus Christ. And that's the sad reality that faces the earth, that Romans teaches that the wages of sin is death. Um, but the Bible teaches us this, that, that Jesus Christ is the new Adam, and again, you can turn here with me if you wanna see that truth. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's just a couple verses, but I want you to see it. I want you to know that I am not making these things up here. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're gonna look at verse 20 through 22. It says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, we all die because of his sin. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. So we've got a problem. That when we're born into the world, we have inherited the sin nature of Adam. We're headed toward death, and that's not just physical death, that's for everybody, but also spiritual death. That if something doesn't change in our core, in our DNA, that we will spend an eternity in a Christless hell. But this scripture is so great in the fact that it promises that Jesus Christ is the new Adam, that you don't have to face death, that because of Adam, we inherited death. 
through Christ, if we accept the sacrifice that he made on the cross and took death for us, Christ trumps Adam, knocks him out of the picture, and through Christ we inherit life, not death from Adam. So there's another truth. And one last thing that I wanna point out, you can turn there if you want. It's in Romans chapter eight, verses 18 through 25. I'm not gonna read it for the sake of time, but if you wanna look at it later and read it in depth, you can do that. But what that passage teaches us is that for this future day that Martha was talking about when she said, Lord, I believe that one day he will rise again, the day that Christ comes back and makes all things new, the Bible teaches us in Romans 8 that the earth is literally groaning for this, that there was a day before Adam sinned that everything was perfect. Mankind was able to walk, touch, and feel God. God was physically, literally with every single one of them. But because of sin, that's no longer available. And now we've got a lot of crazy things going on in this world. And if you don't believe it, just watch the news for five minutes. We've got natural disasters, earthquakes, tsunamis, all of these things happening physically. That is a result of the curse. It's longing for restoration. You watch the news and see yet another mass shooting. Yet you look into your family and you see so much cancer coming into your family. This is a result of the fall. This is a result of sin in our world. And this shows us that creation literally longs for a return to when everything was good and when everything was perfect. And Jesus's future coming promises that everything will return to that state. Everything will be made new. So before I get to the second point, I just wanted to clear up that that is what Martha meant when she said, Lord, I believe that you will raise him from the dead. She was looking forward to this day. And she's absolutely true. She's absolutely right that there is going to be a day when all things are made new. But what Jesus seems to be doing in his response to Martha after that, because look with me at verse 23. It says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And what Jesus is about to say doesn't say that Martha was wrong, but it says that she was incomplete because she's referring only to the future sense. And Jesus responds back to her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So this leads us to our second point, the second truth that not only will Jesus be the resurrection and the life, Jesus is today the resurrection in the life. So before I dig into that, we're gonna continue uh, reading scripture and I'm gonna go back and talk about that. Again, I want you to see that I'm not just making this stuff up here. Turn to verse 28 with me and this is gonna be a pretty big chunk, so please bear with me. Uh, it's gonna be verse 28 through 44. I'll go ahead and read that. It's on the screen behind me. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you remember, Martha said literally the same exact thing to Jesus. Remember these quotes are significant. We're gonna come back to them. Verse 33 continues, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. 
He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. That right there is the shortest verse in the Bible, two words. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Or if you have the KJV, it says, it will stinketh, which I find to be very funny. For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. This dude was looking like a mummy. So Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Okay, we got through that. Thank you for bearing with me. So now let's dig into it. And the, the major truth here that I want to get across is, again, like I said, point one was that Jesus will be the resurrection of life physically. At the end of time, Jesus will return and every dead body ever will be reunited with their soul and joined with Christ in the sky, believers in Christ. Number two, this point is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And this is what Jesus was trying to show to Martha because he told Martha, I'm gonna raise him. And she goes, yeah, I know you will on the last day. Who knows how long that is? It's been roughly 2,000 some years since then and it still hasn't happened. But he was wanting to show, no, I have that power now. And what we just read, he went and demonstrated that power, right? He went and by the word of his mouth, told Lazarus to wake up, to get up. And what did he do? He got up. So he demonstrated in that moment that he is the resurrection and the life. Very similarly to what happened to Lazarus, because I know a lot of you might be saying, okay, great, he raised a dead dude. I've never seen any dead dudes rise from the grave. I don't know about you, but I definitely haven't. So what does it actually mean that Jesus is the resurrection and the life today? And it's that Jesus offers us right now, currently, to anybody sitting in this room, offers us a resurrection. And that's not a physical resurrection from death, but it's a physical re resurrection from sin in the death that that sin will bring. That today, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. And what that does is not just, okay, great, here's your ticket to heaven. Christ completely changes our being. That if we accept that and allow Christ to resurrect us from the death that comes from sin, that the Bible promises that we will become a new creation. God literally places his Holy Spirit inside of you. So if you're a Christian here, you've got God living inside of you. And I know what some of you might think, be thinking, oh, I know a lot of Christians who don't act like it. I know them too. But we have to choose to to abide by the Spirit or to not. But if we have the Spirit inside of us, the Bible teaches that we are a new creation. So it's not something simple. God completely transforms us and resurrects us from sin and gives us a new life in him. And we see Lazarus here that whenever he was raised from the dead, he was looking like a mummy. So I imagine he's just all tangled up in cloths because back then he was in a tomb. He didn't get put into the ground. They put him back into a tomb and rolled a stone in front of the doorway so that nothing could happen. He couldn't get out. And they had to wrap him properly so that he didn't, as Martha would say, stinketh in the tomb. They had to prepare his body and wrap him up. So this dude was probably freaked out. 
that when Jesus raises them from the dead, he's, he's wrapped up in cloth. He's, I mean, if I were him, I'd be freaking out. Get it off! I'd be going crazy. So he's, he's a mess. And Jesus just kind of calmly looks at him and says, unbind him, let him go. You know, it's not a big deal for Jesus. But this is so us, that when Christ raises us from the dead, the death of our sin, we're messy. We've got a lot of, you might be looking today and you might be a Christian thinking this or you might be somebody who hasn't accepted Christ and you're thinking this. And I guarantee you, there's something in your life that you've done in the past that comes to your mind. You think, well, I've done this. Can Christ really forgive me if I've done this? I've got this going on. Can Christ really forgive me and continue to save me if I've got this going on? You're trapped and you're wrapped up in many things. But to those things, to your shame, to your guilt, to any sin you've ever committed, Christ looks at it and just as he looked at Lazarus all wrapped up in the cloth, couldn't even see straight, walking funny, he says, unbind him and let him go. That's exactly what he says to me and you today when we call on the name of the Lord to be saved and even if we have been saved and we continue to struggle in sin, we ask God to help us. God looks at the chains of our sin, looks at us in our lives and says, unbind him, let him go. God's power is so much greater and more infinite than anything that this world can place a hold on us. Any sin, any amount of death, any kind of cancer, anything you can imagine, Christ is more powerful than that. And that's exactly what this passage is teaching today. Um, But there's a truth that you need to understand and get through your head before we move on. And that is in order to have the promise apply to you that Jesus will be in the future, your resurrection and life, that he will resurrect your body and that you'll spend eternity with him. For him to be your resurrection and life, you have to accept him as your resurrection and life today, now. If you're in this room, I wanna put you on the spot. Is there a time you don't have to raise your hand or anything weird like that? I don't wanna make you uncomfortable. I want you to think, be honest with yourself. Is there a time in your life when you've asked God to resurrect you from the death of sin, that you've asked God to save you and forgive you from your sin? And if so, that's awesome. The Bible promises that Jesus Christ will be your resurrection in life, that there's gonna be a day that he will resurrect your body and spend eternity with him. But if there isn't a day that you've put your faith in Christ and you've invited him into your heart and asked him to eradicate the sin in your heart and asked him to be your resurrection, why haven't you? Do you doubt him? Do you not believe in him? Do you not think he's strong enough? I think a dude who can speak a dead guy back to life is pretty strong. Um, So I'll just get that out there, that Jesus is bigger than anything you can think of. If you think, Jesus can't save me, I've done drugs, Jesus can't save me, I've done this or I've done that or I'm still doing this, Jesus is bigger than that. And Jesus still wants to save you. If Jesus can beat death, Jesus can save a guy who's done anything. And that's exactly what this passage is teaching, that Jesus' offer of resurrection applies to everybody, not just the spiritually elite. This applies to everybody. And I know a major, a major theme, we talked about it a little bit in TAG tonight. Um, something that is, in my opinion, one of the biggest hindrances that keeps people from believing in God is them trying to wrestle with the question of how could a good God allow so much suffering in the world? We might ask ourselves this, if God is so good, why did my parents get divorced? If God is so good, why is my family member addicted to drugs? If God is so good, why is my grandma suffering and dying from cancer? If God is so good, fill in the blank. If God is so good, why did the Holocaust happen? Why did 9-11 happen? And if we're honest, I think we've all probably asked these questions. 
And I believe that this passage addresses this question and gives an answer. And that's something that I wanna spend the last part of this lesson talking about. And I told you we would get to the beginning of the lesson at the end. So my promise is coming true. Turn to verse one of chapter 11 and we'll take a look. So bear with me, we're gonna read like 20 some verses and then we're gonna talk about it. So again, bear with me with this. I promise it'll come out making sense. Start in verse one of chapter 11. Uh, this is kind of the prequel, so to say, of what we've already talked about. We, we heard about Lazarus dying, right? And he got raised from the dead. Now this is kind of the backstory, okay? So think of it that way. Verse one reads this. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters, this was Mary and Martha, sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Remember that verse, verse four. Highlight it, underline it, do whatever you want with it. We're coming back to it, I promise. Now verse five continues. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. We're gonna get to verse seven, but I wanna pause there and say that makes no sense. That Jesus finds out Lazarus is sick and dying, right? Y'all been tracking with that? And it says, Jesus loves Martha, her sister Mary, and Lazarus. He loves them a lot. So when he found out the guy was sick and dying, he decided to stay where he was for two more days. Doesn't make any sense. If I got a phone call and said, hey, Wyatt, your mom is in the hospital, uh, she's dying, and I go, I love my mom so much, so I'll see you there in two days. You're gonna think I'm crazy. You don't love your mom, you'd be rushing to the hospital immediately, right? You would think that love would compel me to go immediately. You would think I was a psycho, wacko. If I was like, hey, I'll see you guys in two days, it'll be chill, I love her a lot, I get it. So how does this make sense? I promise we're gonna answer it, but we continue in verse seven. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're gonna go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples say to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. They definitely missed the point. Jesus meant he died. So Jesus does what he always does and kind of corrects his disciples' stupidity and says, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. So Jesus told them plainly. I think that's funny. That has to, he had to put it on their level, way down here, plainly. Guys, Lazarus has died. If you didn't pick that up by what I meant, he's dead. And he continues and said, actually, for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. And again, if you underline, highlight, underline, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. I wanna stop there and kind of explain something here. It says Lazarus had been dead how many days? Four, four days. Now Jews had some different beliefs about death and resurrection. There was one group of Jews called the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection at all. And then there was another group and they kind of had this viewpoint that after death, 
that the spirit of the dead body would hover around for three days, waiting on a possible resurrection. Now, this wasn't true, but this was a belief that many people had. So they believed that that spirit would hover there for three days, waiting to possibly be resurrected. So the fact that Lazarus had been there four days was a big deal because everybody was hopeless. They were like, if he was gonna be resurrected, it would have been done in three days. It's day four, there's no chance. And I also find it interesting because remember back when Jesus found out that Lazarus was sick and he waited two more days? If he would have went instantly, he would have been there on day two. But he waited two extra days and got there on day four when everybody was hopeless. Hold on to that thought. We'll come back to it again, I promise. I just want you to understand that. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Again, remember, day four was a big deal. They thought that there was no chance he was coming back. So now I wanna turn real quick to verses 45 and 48. We see the end of the story, and then we're gonna talk about what happened here. Verse 45 starts, it says, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him, talking about Jesus. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. So again, thank you for bearing with me on a lot of scripture. We're going to talk about it and make it make sense right now. The This last point that I wanna hone into you guys is that so many of us ask the question when things go bad in life, where is God? And again, you are not alone if you wonder that because remember what Martha said to Jesus when she greeted him? If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And what did Mary say when she saw Jesus? Lord, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. So the last point that I wanna show you is that Jesus is not absent in our suffering that Jesus has a plan for our suffering and that's to bring glory to God. Look at verse four. Remember, I told you we'd come back to it. It said, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. So through all of our suffering, no matter what it is, God wants to work it out for his glory. If you wanna turn with me, you can look at that verse. Um, Again, for the sake of time, I'm not gonna personally turn there myself, but it's Romans chapter eight, verse 28. And that just tells us this, that God has promised to work all things, good things, bad things, ugly things, nasty things, death, cancer, you name it, has promised to work all things out for the good of those who love God. So this is the promise to believers in Christ, that it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, what bad thing that you're facing or you can come up with that you have faced, that you're facing today or that you will face, God has promised that he will work it out for your good. It's not God's ideal plan that we have to go through these things. God is actually grieved by them. Remember the verse that we read when Jesus saw that everybody was struggling because of this death? What did it say? Two simple words. I said it was the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. That when Jesus looked at these people's grief, it grieved him. He wept because of it. I think a lot of times when it comes to suffering, that we're sometimes given really dry answers, that we might have a loved one going through something very difficult, that we ourselves might be going through a sickness, that we might have just lost somebody close to us, or who knows what could have happened. And somebody very dry, well, yeah, God has a plan for it. Yep, God ordained it. It's gonna be all right. Suck it up. Like, great, thanks. It doesn't change the fact that 
this is still going on in my life. Thank you for the dry motivation, whatever. I think a lot of this, sometimes people can be very dry. And that's not what the person of Christ speaks in regard to this. Because in regard to that, it says that Jesus wept. That when we feel pain, Jesus feels pain. Because he remembers the time when mankind was able to walk in the garden in perfect harmony with God, when all things were good before the curse of sin entered the world. So whatever unspeakable, disastrous, bad thing you can think of, that has happened or will happen because of the curse of sin that started in the garden with Adam and Eve. We're living under that curse today. So when we suffer from that, it grieves God. And as we see here, Jesus wept. And I would venture to say that Jesus weeps continually when he sees us going through that. So it's not his ideal plan. And he never wants us to go through it. And he's never promised that we won't go through it. Actually, if you read the New Testament, it seems to say the opposite, that we will go through horrible things. Read the New Testament. People are just dying everywhere. People are crucified. People are beaten up. It's crazy. Read it. Like, I don't know how the the prosperity gospel thrives today. You believe in Jesus, he's gonna make you rich, happy, give you a nice house, and maybe even a new Lamborghini and hot girlfriend if you're lucky. It's false. And it's completely, and I know that you might be sad to hear that. But this is completely anti-Bible, that the Bible almost seems to teach that if you believe in Jesus, you're going to suffer. And the Bible still almost seems to teach that you are, if you are a believer in Christ and not suffering, something in your life is wrong. That's why God has promised, I know things are going to happen in your life that are bad and that downright are horrible. But that's where Romans 8.28 is so helpful that it says that God will work out all things for the good of those who love him. So that's God's plan, that through our suffering, he has a plan, that he's still good to us, that he promises to work it out for our good. So again, you're not alone to, to have doubts in this time at all, and it is okay to have doubts like this. So another thing that I want to encourage you with is that God's plan is to bring glory to himself. But what does it mean? I think that you all probably have heard that so many times throughout church, the, the phrase, the glory of God. But things like that are easier to say, what does, what does that actually mean? And the glory of God in a nutshell could be described as God's infinite perfection. So then you could ask the question, what does it mean to bring glory to God? So to bring glory to God would be to do anything that points to his infinite perfection. So in verse four of chapter 11, when Jesus said, this illness is for the glory of God, something that he's going to do through Lazarus's illness and ultimate death is gonna point to the infinite perfection of God. And I want you to look at this with me um, as we go through because typically when the Bible talks about the glory of God, it results in more and more people believing in God. So just kind of skim through this chapter with me. I'm gonna point this out. And again, if you like to circle in your Bible, every time I show you the word belief, I want you to circle it. Look at verse 15. Jesus said to his disciples, for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may what? Believe, circle it. Now come down to verse 25. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. Circle that. Now drop all the way down to verse 40. 
Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? In verse 42, I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 45, many of the Jews therefore had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. So Jesus' plan for this whole gig from start to finish was that more and more people would come to believe in him. That was his plan. In verses 45 through 48 show us that that was mission accomplished because so many people, in fact, came to believe in Jesus as a result of what Jesus did by raising Lazarus from the dead that the Jews had to gather a council about it. And they said, if somebody doesn't stop this dude, everybody is gonna believe in him. So you know that's a pretty big deal when you have to have a formal Jewish council meeting and go, who is this guy? From what he did, everyone is gonna believe in him. And they didn't want people to believe in Jesus, which is ultimately why they killed him. And they knew that. And that's why they killed him. So Jesus' plan for people to come to believe in him as a result of what he did in the life of Lazarus is the same exact thing that he desires today through our lives. He desires to resurrect us from the death of our sin. And like I said earlier, it doesn't matter what you've done, what sin you're caught up in. If you call on the name of the Lord, he is strong enough to save you and he will save you. And if you read the Bible, God almost seems to specialize in saving really, really messed up people. And as a result, so many people come to faith in Christ because they go, I don't know how God saved that lunatic, but the other day, speak of the apostle Paul, the other day he was just killing Christians and today he is one. So like, what's up with this guy? So many people came to faith in Jesus because of the life of the apostle Paul. So he desires that because of him resurrecting us from the grip of sin today, that more and more people will come to faith in him. So to anybody in here who's a Christian today, God has saved you from an eternity in hell to spend an eternity with him in heaven, but that's not it, it's incomplete. Because if that's all that God wanted from you, just to save you and send you to heaven, you'd go to heaven at the time that you were saved. But God left you here. We still have time on earth and there's a reason. Because God desires that our Christian life is dedicated to telling more and more people about him. God doesn't desire that anybody spend an eternity separated from him in hell. That's why he saves us, and that's why he tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. Whether that's talking to our neighbor across the street, whether that's talking to the person in our class, whether that's hopping on a plane and going to Iraq, whatever that might mean in your life, whatever the Lord leads you to do, I can tell you one thing, that God's plan for your life, every single one of you, I don't care what your job's gonna be, I don't care where you're gonna go to college, I don't care what sports you're gonna play, whatever you do, God has a plan that you use whatever you do to make disciples for him and to tell others about him so that they can come to believe that he too can resurrect them from the death that comes from their sin and that they too can spend eternity in heaven with him. This is God's will for everybody. So if you're a teacher, God's will is that you be a teacher who tells others about him. If you're at school, God's will is that you just be a faithful student who tells others about him. If you go to Marshall, if you go to WVU, if you become a police officer, doctor, whatever you do, God just desires that you do exactly that and point others to him through it. It's very simple. And that's exactly what this passage is pointing at, that no matter what goes on in our life, we can know that God is at work. God's at work for our good. 
and the good of the world, and he wants to point to the fact that he is perfect and that many, many more people will come to faith in him as a result. So as I close, I've got three conclusion points. If you'd like to write these down, you can write them down. There are three words and three phrases, and they all start with the word look. The first one is to look forward. The first point we talked about, look forward to your future resurrection over death. If you're here today and you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, there's gonna be a day that Christ is gonna resurrect your physical body, reunite it with your soul, and you're gonna spend eternity in heaven with God. Look forward to that. Rejoice in that. Number two is to look at, currently, look at your current resurrection over sin. If you think you have nothing to rejoice in today and you're a Christian, you do. Because God has saved you from the death that would come as a result of your sin and the fact that you would spend an eternity in hell. He saved you from that. Look at it and praise God and rejoice in that. And the third one that I want you to see is to look for. Look for God's plan for your suffering. I don't care what it is that you're going through. You can, you can name it. Literally any kind of possible problem that we could face. God wants to work it out for your good And not only does he want to, but he is working it out for your good. So instead of basking and wallowing and asking, why God, where are you God? Know that he is there and know that he is working for your good. So instead of wondering where he is, know that he is there and look for his plan for your suffering. I promise it's there. And that point a lot of times is often that God through our suffering gives us the opportunity and the privilege to tell so many more people about him. So, with that, the, the main point of this lesson was this, that the tomb won't triumph. That death is something that's inevitable, but death is not eternal and death is not forever. Death has no grip over somebody who is a, a Christian, who is a believer in Christ, because if we die and are in Christ, we're promised an eternity in heaven with him. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, that offer applies to you, that anybody can call on the name of the Lord and be saved and he will resurrect you today in the here and now from your destiny to death and separation from God. So I'm gonna close us out in prayer. I hope I got us out on time. A couple minutes late, that's okay. But I will pray for us. And if you're here and you have any questions about literally anything, you can ask me, you can ask Matt, you can ask any of the other leaders. And if you're here tonight and you haven't accepted Christ, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that as we pray. I'm not gonna put you on the spot or make you awkwardly raise your hand or anything like that. But if you're here and that applies to you and tonight you've decided, I wanna put my faith in Christ. I wanna know that the tomb won't triumph over my life. I wanna spend eternity with Christ in heaven. If that's you tonight, just come and tell me or Matt or your tag leader, we'll rejoice with you. Nothing will make us happier than that. So I'm gonna pray for us and then are we gonna put someone in the middle? We're gonna put somebody in the middle after that. So don't jump out just as soon as I finish praying. All right, we'll pray. Father God, I just wanna thank you for today. Thank you for the privilege to come and open your word. Uh, Thank you for the truth that you've shown us in your word that no matter what it is that we face in life, that you are bigger and stronger than that, that even our worst enemy of death, that God, you have come and you've beat it forevermore, that if we are in you and that if you forgive us, that God will spend eternity with you. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your love and your grace and saving me and offering the message of salvation to anyone who will believe. And I just pray, God, that if there's somebody tonight who doesn't know you, who has never put their faith in you, that tonight they'll do that. And that they'll just simply say, God, I need you to forgive me from my sin. Please resurrect me tonight and change my life forevermore. 
God, I just pray that you'll do that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.